0: For those of you who are uh, visiting here today, or, or maybe even are, are newer here, and, and we haven't got to know each other really well, um, I would like to, to say that I think that I'm not quite as old as I look. I think that's true. I'm not gonna tell you how old I am. You're just gonna have to, to wonder. Uh, but I'm not quite as old as I look. Uh, but at the same time, I do know that I'm a lot older than I once was. Can you relate to that? Yeah. Man, not as old as I look, but I, I'm definitely older than I used to be. And I find that I'm in this kind of in-between season right now. Um, I saw a comedian who was about my age, joking about this the other day, where he, like, hangs out with someone who's in their 20s, and he's like, man, these old guys over here, right? I'm not going to hang out with them. Uh, they're like 45, <laughs> 45 year olds are looking at me and they're like, aren't you too? And so um, that's kind of there. I'm old enough that that I'm I'm just uh, grumpy enough that I can sometimes get grumpy about young whippersnappers. Um, If you don't know what that word means, it's probably because you're too young and you've got all these words that I have to look up. So I look this one up for you, uh, just so you know. Uh, so I'm old enough that I can get a little grumpy about young people these days, but I also am young enough that I know how to use spell check and make sure that I spell things correctly on my slides, so I'm kind of in that, that middle area. I uh, find times, uh, find when there's times that I spend uh, a lot of time with older people that it's easy to get around and, and complain about how things used to be better back in our day, back in my day. Anyone grow up back in my day? Back in your day? Yeah, things were a little bit different, a little bit better. Um, You get to talking about the way things used to be. And yet I also am young enough that when I find myself listening to younger people today, and I mean really listening because you have to listen hard because they use words that I don't always understand and I've got to kind of look them up. But once I I hear the heart behind what they're saying, I often find that I'm impressed by how much um, love and optimism that they have for the world, that they have a belief that the world can be better someday. Um, And so I often, when I I really listen to younger people, I leave feeling encouraged and optimistic and hopeful for what they're going to do with the world that we leave them. Um, But then as soon as they're gone, I'm back to wishing things were the way they used to be, you know. Things uh, used to be Better. There's always that temptation to long for peoples of the past that we liked better than some uh, of the pieces of the present uh, to where uh, gum used to be a lot cheaper. You know, remember when gum was cheaper? Uh, you didn't have to use like a five dollar bill to buy a package of gum. Uh, you could use coins to do it. Um, violence is on the rise. We, we, it's such a, a major threat. People are so worried, and rightfully so, about, about kids taking guns to school. We didn't grow up in a world where uh, it was really just when I was in high school that some of those things uh, went from not something I ever thought about to a reality. There's a major change in the world that we lived in. Um, back in the day, people who didn't agree with each other were still respectful to one another. Remember those days when people could uh, disagree agreeably? Uh, Those days seem to be far in the past. Uh, My kids are old enough, and my kids are not very old. My kids are old enough to say things like, man, Big Macs just aren't as big as they used to be. Anyone else notice this? They're like medium Macs at best. (laughs) Um, And I try and tell them, like, maybe you're just getting bigger and they're just smaller in your hands. And they're like, no. That is a smaller burger. And I think they're right. Um, Big Macs used to be bigger. Um, Quarter pounders used to actually be a quarter pound. Um, Back in my day, when the early morning cartoons would run out, The Price is Right would come on, and that's how we knew it was time to go outside and play. Yeah, you guys remember that? And that was back when The Price is Right had Bob Barker, who was a much better host than who they have today. Things used to be better. Uh, back in my day, if you wanted to send people mean, anonymous letters, you couldn't just jump on your phone or your computer and send them really mean, hateful things. You had to actually cut all the letters out of a magazine and glue stick them on and use a stamp. And that's, you, had, you had to really make a time commitment to being awful back in my day. Now people just, it's way too easy to be awful uh, in the world that we live in. And so things change. Things change, and it would be easy for us in the world today to just put on our rose-tinted glasses and to look at the past through idealized versions of what it actually was. In reality, uh, all too often, it's, it's exactly that, an idolized or idealized version of the past, where we imagine that it was safer or friendlier or easier or less expensive, and some of that's certainly true, but a lot of times we forget that some people's past was harder, than others, that things weren't always good in the past, that that for some people um, things are better today than they used to be. And so there's all of that that's true, um, but there is always this temptation in the world that we've been talking about the past couple weeks. We live in a world today um, that has new challenges for Christianity. Uh, We live in a world today that, that Christianity is not the default setting anymore. Uh, when you go and tell someone, I, I was, I, one of our, our members here was telling me a couple months ago uh, that it came out at work, uh, that they were someone that believed in Jesus Christ, and their coworker went, you're kidding me? I thought you were a rational, level-headed, responsible human being, and you believe in that Jesus stuff? Well, that shoe used to be on the other foot, didn't it, in this country and in this world? And so in the last couple weeks where we've been talking about how do we as Christians have something to say to lost people, we're not talking about people that have never heard about Jesus. We're talking about people that used to go to church and left. And we're talking about a world that is not just disinterested in Jesus, but is so often hostile to the church and to faith. And so when it comes to being Christian in that world, it would be easy for us to be in the midst of that and say, man, I feel like a stranger in my own home. I feel like a foreigner in the same place where I used to feel like I was just one of everybody here. And it would be easy to get uh, to where we didn't feel like we belonged, even in a place where we grew up and felt safe and friendly and familiar to us. So the question has to be asked, in a world where we feel like strangers and foreigners, how do we, as faithful Christians, live in the midst of that disorientation? How do we live in a place where we think, man, God used to be the center of our country, and faith used to be the center of our community, and it used to be something that held all of us together in some form or another. It used to be that when there was a national crisis, we all went to prayer, and that's not true anymore. And it would be easy for us to just lament that. And there is something to be said for that. On one occasion, Israel, uh, this is at the time when Babylon has come in and destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, and it's taken so many of the wealthy and prominent citizens and people, and they are now marching them out of Jerusalem where their home was. They're marching them away from the temple where their God was. They're marching them away from all of the priests who would offer sacrifices, and they would smell the lamb as it was cooking, and they would have all these memories of their childhood and the way things used to be. And Babylon has conquered Israel, has conquered Jerusalem. They've destroyed the walls. Safety is gone. Comfort is gone. Home is gone. And they're now marching all of these people out to Babylon and away from their home. Psalm 137, the text that was read earlier, is the psalm that tells the story of that day. A day when they were truly becoming foreigners and strangers, no longer living in the land that they had known for so long. Here's how they describe that day. They said, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion's another name for Jerusalem. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. There's something to be said about being disoriented as a place and a posture of faith. There's something to be said for when we look at the world and we think, "Man, I don't even recognize the world that I live in anymore. It's not what it used to be. I don't feel like I can be Christian here in the way that I used to be Christian here." It's okay for us to cry out to God and say, "God, it's hard sometimes for us to worship here loudly like we used to. God, sometimes I long for the days of yesterday where we could go to temple and and fill you in our midst." I long for the days when we as, and this is Israel talking here, Israel saying, I long for the days when we as a people gathered for Passover and for Pentecost, and we remembered all that God had done for us. But today, we can't play our harps that often sing the songs of Zion. Today, we can't sing the praises because we grieve what was lost. We, we grieve what, what is in the past, and we long for a day that we will be restored. Israel, even as they are marching out of Jerusalem, is saying, God, don't let us forget where we came from, and God, someday take us back. And when we get back, remind us the songs of praise and the songs of joy, and, and all of that is there in Psalm 137. It's a dark psalm. It's a disoriented psalm. And then the people arrive in Babylon, and they begin asking the question, how do we live here in Babylon when we want to be back in Jerusalem? And as Christians, we have this same ache, and, and it's true that we have this ache in every time and at every age. This is, has always been a broken and fallen world. And when we live in that reality, it is right for us to cry out to God and say, God, why can't you make this world the way it was supposed to be in the beginning and will be in the end? Because sometimes it really stinks in the middle. And so it's good to cry out to God when we feel like things aren't the way they should be in this world. And so God, in the midst of Israel, feeling in, in Babylon like they are isolated, feeling like they don't know how to live as foreigners and aliens, so far from temple, so far in their minds from God. And God sends them a letter, and He sends it through His prophet Jeremiah. So then, Jeremiah 29, uh, He starts, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem, to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We're going to skip down to verse four where the letter actually begins. And so this is a letter to people who are saying, we're not where we want to be. We're strangers and foreigners. How do we get back to where we want to be? God, how can we make sense of any of this? And God sends them a letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The first thing, by the way, that God says before he even gets into the letter is, hey, for those of you that think the gods of Babylon took you to Babylon, they didn't. For those of you that think the army of Babylon took you to Babylon, they didn't. If you want to know who took you to Babylon, I did, God says. I was in charge when you were in Jerusalem. I'm in charge when you're in Babylon. You cannot go anywhere where I am not your God and you are not my people. And so when we feel sometimes disoriented in the world where we're living, what we need to never forget is that God's still in control. And then he tells the people, here's how you live while you're in exile in Babylon. Build houses... And settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. This is a way of saying, uh, hey, God, should we like live in tents? And he goes, no, go ahead and build a house. You're going to be here a while. Wait, God, do we like rent houses? No, go ahead and build houses. You're going to be here a while. Should we like go shopping for fruits and vegetables? No, plant gardens. You're going to be here a couple seasons. But I don't want to be here. Plant your gardens, build your houses, get married, grow your family, live your lives. Don't put your world on hold waiting to get back to the good old days when you're in a place where God can use you. But God, I don't want to be here. But you're here. Live your life. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. And and those prophets were all saying, uh, hey, don't build your houses. Don't plant your gardens. God's going to take us home soon, probably next week. So just keep your bags packed and ready to go. Because the people wanted to hear that. And God says through Jeremiah, No, tell the people to live their lives. And not only are they going to live good lives in Babylon, but while they are there, have them pray for the peace and prosperity of the, the nation that they dwell among. Now wait a minute, God. These this is the army that tore down your walls. This is the army that hauled us from our homes. This is the army that that, that tore down your t- This is, God, you don't mean to pray for their peace and you don't mean prosperity. God says, yeah, pray for those who are around you, because as they are blessed, you will be blessed also. And Babylon is not a a good, friendly ruler of a nation to be occupying you. Uh, This is a cruel nation, a cruel empire. and, And God says, in the midst of their cruelty, pray for them. Pray for them to be blessed, and you will be blessed. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God, are you going to leave us here forever? No. No, I wouldn't do that. I've got plans to bless you. I've got plans to prosper you. I'm not planning your harm. I have good in store for you. But wait a little while. Can we go back to the prophets that are going to tell us the the deliverance and everything that we want is going to be tomorrow? No, no. Wait a little while. Be patient and pray for this on God's timing. Be patient and wait for the day that when we pray to God that he will deliver us and take us to a place where we don't feel like strangers and foreigners anymore. And do you believe that day is coming? Do you believe that a day is coming when you will no longer feel like foreigners and exiles as Christians? Yeah, it's coming. That's why Jesus got out of the grave was to go and prepare for us a place uh, where we might someday be no longer strangers and foreigners, but families. All the people that are gathered from the earth. And, and God makes this promise to Israel, and we know that it's for us today too. That when we cry out to Him, a day is coming when He will gather us from all the nations, all the different people, and all the different tribes and tongues, and, and all the corners of the earth, and He'll gather us, and we will no longer be scattered and strangers and foreigners. We're going home. But for now... We're going to pray for the prosperity of the place where we've been planted. We're going to bless those who are around us however we can. And I can't help but wonder if Peter, some several hundred years after this, is writing to the early Christians if he doesn't have those exiled Israelites, those uh, exiled members of the tribe of Judah in his mind when he's writing his letter to the early churches. Peter writes, to those who are faithful Christians scattered among the nations, sounds familiar to Jeremiah's audience back in Babylon. But by the time Peter is here, uh, God has brought the people back to Jerusalem. God has brought the people back and, and, and they've rebuilt the walls. And they've asked the question, can God dwell here among his people in the temple? And Peter knows that the answer is yes, because Jesus came and lived and and died on the cross and is resurrected and the Spirit is now living in all of those who are in Jesus Christ. Peter's got all of this in his, in his worldview and all of this in his mind and all of this in his heart. He knows all of this to be true. And, and so suddenly some of these Christ followers start looking around at the world and saying, man, some of my Jewish brothers and sisters don't like that I'm following Jesus. And some of the Gentiles uh, who are giving their lives to Jesus Christ and becoming Christ followers, uh, their families and their friends and their communities are saying, hey, we don't think you should be doing that. And we think you're living a way that is not good. And suddenly this, this growing but small group of Christ followers, Jew and Gentile alike, start getting persecuted in different ways. And they look at the world and they think, man, I grew up here, that's my family over there, but I'm starting to feel like a stranger and a foreigner in my own home because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think Peter, who's writing to those early Christians, has a word that we need to hear today. And so Peter writes, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. And pagans is, is Peter's kind of Bible word for saying people that don't believe in Jesus. It's people that, that don't uh, claim Jesus as their Messiah. He says, here's what you need to do. Um, they're not actually pagans and like they're not atheists everyone has a god in this time they're either worshiping the gods of the Greek gods or uh, they're worshiping in, in the old Israelite the Jewish way of faith and so here's what he tells them uh, live such good lives among those who are not followers of Jesus among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, when he talks about governors and emperors, it's important you know that he means the Roman ones who are also cruel. The governor, uh, one of the governors he speaks about put Jesus on a cross. Uh, and the emperors of Rome are going to do horrible persecutions of Christ followers in the years to come. And Peter says, here's the deal. You need to live such good lives among the nonbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will eventually give God glory as a result of what they see in you. And so Peter is is reimagining for the early Christ followers what this Jeremiah letter looks like for people who follow Jesus in a world that doesn't like it. And I think we need to hear it today. And I think what we need to know is that Peter's instruction for the church then, and I believe for the church today, is to live as foreigners and exiles in the world. So here's the first thing we need to hear is that we need to stop conforming to all of the the non-Christian world around us. Peter says, don't look like your neighbors. Be a foreigner, be in exile, be different. Live with contrast to those who don't believe in Jesus. Now, We take that and we think, that's right, we're not going to conform to anything that you do. We're going to have our values and our worldview and our faith. And there's two ways that we like to not conform. One of them is by running away and hiding to where we don't have any unchristian influences in our lives. Get some really big walls and some really big filters and we just kind of say, okay, over here we're safe, we're not conforming to the world in our little Christian bubbles. And the other thing we like to do is say, not only am I not going to conform, I'm just going to pick fights with you about how you're wrong all the time. Your way is wrong. Your way is, is not of Jesus. And the world wants to look at us and say, yeah, why would my worldview be of, of the same as yours? We're trying to hold people that don't believe in the Bible to biblical standards. They're not that interested in it. We're trying to ask people to be followers of Jesus Christ when they're not disciples of Jesus Christ. They're not that interested in it. And we wanna just go yell at them over and over again, do what Jesus wants you to do, do what Jesus wants you to do. And the world right now is kinda going, we don't care what Jesus wants us to do. That's why we quit asking for his opinion about everything in our lives. Now do we just wash our hands of them and go back to our little isolation bubbles? No. No. Peter says, live such good lives among, among them. And so the way that we're supposed to live is not just combatively with people that are different from us, and it's not just running away from people that don't believe what we believe and share our values. It's living in the midst of a world that needs us to be salt and light. It's us living with people who are different than us and have a different worldview than us, and we need to do it with goodness. We need to be good. Not judgment, not hiding. Goodness and contrast in the midst of a world that that might someday say, hey, I don't know if I believe what you believe, but I believe that you believe it. And that's a good place to start. And if we can just live with goodness, so often the Christians that live among the pagans do so with compromised morality, with conformity to the world, and their witness is lost. What do you do with salt that loses its saltiness? Jesus says it's only good for throwing out and trampling underfoot. Saltiness is the contrast of having Christ-like goodness and then living it in the midst of non-believers in ways that are visible, in ways that are meaningful, in ways that are intentional. Not picking fights, not hiding, but intentionally living in the midst of them with goodness. So that maybe on the day that God returns, they'll give him glory because of what they've seen his children doing in their midst. Will doing this convert many people? Probably not. We need to have a lot more conversations and listening and other stuff. But if we fail to do this, will it slam the door shut on opportunities to do other stuff later? Absolutely it will. And so as we think about what it means this year to be people that are praying that God will help us see the lost, and hear their stories. And as we think about what it means to be people that are are willing to speak God's truth and love into their lives, before we even start opening our mouths, we really have to start by living good lives among those who don't believe like we believe. So that there's a possibility that someday they might still give glory to God. And even if they stay fools, even if the words that they spout out of their mouth continue to be foolish every day of their lives, our good deeds have the potential, what does Peter say? To silence foolish talk. There's a lot of foolish talk in the world today. So often Christians try to argue against foolish talk by yelling foolish things louder. Let's just live good lives first. Among people, loving God, loving others, living with goodness in their midst to open the door, to see them, to hear them, to speak to them, to love them. To be good in the midst of a world that desperately needs to see what goodness looks like. Not in isolation, not beating them into submission. This is the invitation we have to be kingdom people. In the world today living as foreigners and exiles even in places that once felt familiar trusting that god will ultimately bring us to a place where we get to call home with all of our brothers and sisters in christ and if you're here today and you've never responded to that invitation to be part of that kingdom and part of that family i want to invite you to come forward this morning uh, and respond to that invitation as we stand and sing I hear the Savior say thy strength.